Hello, you're listening to Repent and Believe Podcast with Cynthia Smalls, founder of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here, we talk about and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fashioned in God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share, download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. And this is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How is everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You are not giving up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, we love you and we want you, we want you to be our King, our God, and our Lord. Father, help us today to understand the purpose of the law. Over here in Galatians 3.24, you tell us what that purpose was. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Amen. Father, with today's lesson, show us how the Holy Spirit will bring into every true born-again believer in Christ remembrance of all what Jesus said about the Ten Commandments and how loving you with everything within us will restrain us from following after other gods and disobeying you, that how we will love our neighbor by not committing sins against them and with them, So we see that under grace, through Christ's finished work at the cross, all the 613 laws of Moses is fulfilled. It is not abolished, but fulfilled by Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who lived a perfect and sinless life. Father, we don't ever want to forget what the Bible says, that the law is holy, righteous, and good, and it will judge the lawbreaker. But glory be to you, Father, that in Christ Jesus, we 
have been set free from the penalty, from not being able to keep the whole law. Father, show us today how the law was given to Israel. It was not given to the Gentiles. Father, first things first, Christ Jesus has liberated us from the bondage of the law of Moses. You want your people to know that Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf and rescued us from the penalty, from not being able to keep all of the law. Father, this is causing mass confusion in the body of Christ unnecessarily. It is because there are many, many false teachers who are putting your people back up under the law through the false doctrine of tithing and sowing seed. They are doing this to get paid. They are doing this deceitfully to become rich. Father, may today's lesson shed light on the fact of why these false pastors are doing this. What are they not telling the people about the tithe? So, Father, I ask for wisdom to be able to explain do we have to keep any of the 613 laws of Moses as New Testament, New Covenant, blood-bought followers, born-again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we commanded to tie? So, Father, we know before we even get into it that we are called to give because you gave us, oh, you gave us such a precious gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are imitators of our fathers, of our Father in heaven. Father, you told us that you love a, a willing and cheerful giver. We are not commanded to give a set percentage of our income. We understand that it, it takes money to run a ministry. We know that God-fearing pastors need to get paid. We know that there are bills and we know that the community needs financial help. Father, we give cheerfully. We shouldn't have to be browbeated. We shouldn't have to be tricked and manipulated to give money. What is money? 
that's nothing compared to the spiritual blessings you have already given us. It is stored up in heaven for us. So, Father, I ask for discernment to be able to explain today's lesson and shed light on the corruption that is going on in the apostate church where this false doctrine is concerned. Help us today, Father. I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who are sitting up under these wolves and sheep's clothing in these apostate churches that they come out, that they come out in the name of Jesus and sit with the Holy Spirit and allow him to teach us. And I ask this, Father, in Jesus' mighty name and may today's lesson and excitation bring you glory. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, go and get your Bibles because today is going to be the day that you are set free to the glory of God from the false doctrine of tithing and sowing seed. I buy the power of the Holy Spirit is going to give us a ton of scriptures. Prayfully that today will be the day that you are set free from this, this damnable doctrine. Because folks, it is not about giving God money. God don't need money. It is all about these wolves and sheep clothing who have been robbing and raping and fleecing us for years out of thousands upon thousands, if not millions of dollars. Let me tell you something. These charlatans in the pulpit Y'all better repent. Y'all better repent. Folks, if we have to continue to beat this dead horse to a bloody pulp, then so be it. If it would liberate people from this false doctrine of tithing and sowing seed to a ministry whose, whose sole agenda and purpose is to depart you from your money. Now, folks, I am not telling anyone not to give money to your local church. If that man of God is preaching the full counsel of God, where he's talking about God's love and his wrath. He's talking about sin. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about if you don't stop it, you will go to a burning hell. We give cheerfully. If you are blessed enough 
to be part of a fellowship that is actually preaching the true sound counsel of the word of God, then whatever God puts on your heart to give financially, then give it all that I am saying. All that I am imploring is that you don't have to give money as if it is a commandment from God that if you don't give them 10% of your income, you are under a curse. That is what I'm coming against today. Nowhere in scripture. Does God says that if you don't bring him money, you are under a curse because we are going to get into those Old Testament scriptures that these charlatans twist to get you to believe that you are under a curse because you have been robbing God of the types and offerings. So. Like I said, I am coming against false teaching. I'm not coming against you giving money. Listen, if God puts on your heart to give your whole paycheck, then give it. If he puts on your heart to give a nickel, well, then give that. But you give it cheerfully and without compulsion. That's the problem. So... I don't care how sweet and nice that ministry seems to be that if they have you participating in any, any of the 613 laws of Moses, that ministry is apostate and Jesus did not send that preacher. So. What I want to talk about today, okay? Because as y'all see, I'm 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 about to go on a rant because it is sickening, it is disturbing that you mean to tell me that you, pastor, preacher man, you are so greedy and covetous that you don't care about people's souls that you because you have them tithing you are in fact putting them under God's curse because we will see from scriptures that you got to keep all of the 613 laws of Moses if you try to keep one and so not only not only do they have the audacity to make you believe that they deserve to live such a lavish lifestyle off the backs of your dime, 10% of a dollar. Not only do they do that, but they put this, this fear in you that if you don't come to church, if you don't give money to the ministry, then you are of, you are of the devil. They make you feel so bad that when that collection plate goes by and all you have 
is $5, $10 to put into the plate. Everyone is looking at you like, why, why are you holding back? So, like I said, this really gets to me because when I was sitting up under that damnable prosperity gospel, oh, they made it abundantly clear that if you don't tithe, you most certainly is calling, number one, God's curse to be upon your life. The, pop, the, the curse of poverty is on your life. You lack faith because you should have enough faith to give God all of your money. If you believe God, if you believe that he's the God of blessings and, and, and prosperity, and for you not to tithe, well, then you prove you don't have faith. And when you're sitting up under a word of faith ministry and you don't have faith, oh, you feel like you are just this this demon, this <clears throat> this black sheep of the ministry because, <clears throat> excuse me, you lack the faith to believe God for a piece of paper. Yeah, I that really bothers me. So, we got to wake up and smell the corruption for what it is. These men, these women are of depraved minds. And you have, unfortunately, weak Christians who will fight tooth and nail to tithe every week. Why? Because they don't want to come up under God's curse. We, we have been so indoctrinated about God's curse that if we don't show up with some money, we feel some kind of way. Folks, I can't say it enough. We must study for ourselves what these scriptures have to say about any area of our lives otherwise we will be held we will be held captive by these charlatans and we will be taken advantage of folks first of all first of all Let's get some stuff straight before I give you 10 things lying apostate so-called pastors don't want you to know about the tithe because that's what I want to talk about today. I want to give us 10 things your pastor will never tell you about the tithe. First things first, Paul teaches in 1 Timothy 6, 5, that if anyone teaches you that godliness is gain to withdraw yourself. Amen. These men, these women are of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who think that godliness is a source of profit, 
a lucrative money-making business, he said to withdraw from them. Amen. And another thing, yeah, because I want to set some some stuff straight. Because we have been so indoctrinated for so many years, we believe every tradition of men coming out of these churches are the truth, and it is not. The fact that people have been tithing for years, we we bought into the lie that this is what you must do, just like with church membership. Just like with spiritual coverings, just like having fathers in the faith, having mothers in the faith, having all of these spiritual children. These are traditions of men. Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to have spiritual children. Listen, nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to call anyone pastor? That's the first red flag. What? You mean I can't call my pastor pastor? Is that biblical? Hmm? Well, yeah, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> I'm asking you, is it? Well, it must be he's the one that's teaching us about the word of God. Of course, we call him pastor. He has his name plastered out on the marquee out in the front of the church building. It says first denominational so-and-so senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Minister Pete. Really? All of those titles? Brother Pete, really? Folks, we know that Jesus gave gifts to men. We see that in Ephesians, chap Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things and his gifts to the church were varied, and he himself appointed some as apostles, special messengers, representatives, some as prophets who speak a new message from God to the people, some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation, and some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the, <clears throat> excuse me, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Amen. Now, folks, that word slight means the use of dexterity or cunning, especially so as to deceive. And cunning, craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Amen. So folks, these gifts are administrations, not titles. These administrations, these functions are for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, not to pay homage to a mere mortal. Folks, anybody who stands before God's people with titles before and after their names are apostate, these are functions, administrations, offices. These, these gifts were never meant to be used as titles. All we got to do is look at our master, Jesus. <clears throat> did, did he... <clears throat> Hold on one second. One second. Okay, I'm back. Like I was saying, did we see Jesus going around telling everybody, I'm the Messiah Jesus, call me Messiah Jesus. Did, did Paul or Peter or John go around telling people to call them apostle? No, absolutely not. These are gifts. These are administrations and functions for perfecting of the saints so that we too can find out what our ministry for Christ is. It is not to pay homage to a mere mortal who are, what these people are doing are usurping worship from God. They are taking the worship that is rightly due to our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ and putting it on themselves with these titles. This is nothing but vainglory. They are apostate, every single last one of them. They have fallen from the Christ, and in most cases, Jesus did not send them. Folks, Jesus is Lord over his harvest, and we are to call one another brother and sister.
And if you are in a fellowship where they are demanding this type of allegiance, this type of exhortation, you are in an apostate fellowship, my friend. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, irregardless of our administration, is Lord over this harvest. The problem is spiritual maturity. We are not to call anyone my pastor. Because Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when the church at Corinth were quarreling about who follows who. Paul admonished, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to, to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world when one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos? Aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Amen. So Paul was telling the church at Corinth, don't call any one of us yours. Don't say, well, I follow Peter, or I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. He's like, who are we? He, Paul is telling us, nobody died for you but Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the only one who gets the homage, who gets the worship, who gets the highlight and the spotlight and not a mere mortal. Paul is telling us that in his function, he planted seed and Apollos, thank you, Holy Spirit, 
in his function watered that seed, but it is God who gives the increase. So the spotlight is not on who is your pastor. Oh, my pastor is so-and-so or my bishop is so-and-so. We don't call anyone my pastor. We don't do that. You are out of order. And that's the problem. We are not studying these scriptures because if we were, we would see what all of these traditions of men are. May we be reminded. Jesus told us to call no man teacher or rabbi and not to address anyone here on earth as father. Of course, aside from your biological parent, we see Jesus in Matthew 23 criticizing the religious leaders for their self-righteousness and outward displays of piety. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the officials, the official interpre interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Amen. Everything they do is for show. Folks, we got to understand what Jesus is telling us. It was true then and it is true today. Verse 5. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the, at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Verse 8. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Because, folks, I needed to lay out this foundation because many of us sit up in these churches week after week calling that person that stands in the pulpit pastor with a capital P as if he's the grand poobah. Jesus is telling us in the scriptures that we are all equal. We are all equal, whether we standing in the front of the pulpit or we are sitting in the pews. We are all equal. And just because someone goes to a Illuminati seminary school does not make him 
or her, unfortunately, you got these women sitting up in the pulpits just completely out of order, does not make them any more pious, religious, righteous more than you because we got the same Bible. We got the, the same Holy Spirit who teaches us everything that Jesus has ever taught. No one is better than the next one. We all need to repent. So, just because they put a title in front of their names does not make them more righteous than you. Don't you ever forget that. Because the problem comes into play. Because they have these titles, we take everything they have to say as if it was doctrinal truth. When in fact, they have you in gross error. I want to say nine times out of ten. Back to the scriptures. Jesus said, <clears throat> Do not let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters, and don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. Amen. The greatest among you must be a servant. Did you hear that, pastor? Hmm? The greatest among you must be a servant. But those, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you cross land and sea to make one convert and then... And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell. You yourselves are blind guides. What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding? How blind! For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Amen. Y'all should really read the whole chapter of Matthew. What is this? 24 or 23? No, I think it's 23. Hold on. Let me scroll back up here. Because this, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. We sitting, we sitting up over here calling everybody by these reverends and doctors and bishops. And, yeah, that was Matthew 23. Sitting up here calling all of these religious leaders by, by these titles 
all the while they leading us back on the road to hell. We need to wake up. We need to wake up because we see that whole chapter of Matthew 23. Read it. It is outstanding. Jesus was giving the religious leaders of his day the business. And we see this same foolishness going on today in the modern church. And that brings me to what I want to talk about today. The false doctrine of tithing in particular. I want to give you 10 things pastors don't want you to know about the tithe. Number one, it is one of 613 laws of Moses. It was part of the, of the ceremonial laws and it was given only to Israel, period. The law of Moses was not given to the Gentiles, a.k.a. nations, at no time. Let's just be clear. Romans 2 verses 14 to 15 says, When Gentiles who do not have the law, since it was given only to Jews, do instinctively the things the law requires, guarded, guided only by their conscience. They are a law to themselves, though they do not have the law. Verse 15, they show the essential requirements of the law are written in their hearts and their conscience, their sense of right and wrong, their moral choices, bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or perhaps defending them. Amen. Folks, we are not under the old covenant, but the new covenant, which is grace through the blood sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke twenty-two twenty, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Amen. Number two, it was never about money because I'm giving us 10 things that so-called pastor up there who wants to heap on all of these vainglory titles upon himself. But then at the same time, he's having you back up under God's curse by keeping one okay, of the 613 laws of Moses, one ancient law will put you back up under God's curse because you tithe. Because he tells you that if you don't tithe, you are under God's curse when in fact you are under God's curse because you are tithing. Why do they have to say tithing? Why can't they just simply ask for a donation? The reason why they don't ask for a donation, because in their corrupt minds, that's not enough money. 
You only giving twenty dollars is not going to get them that that fifty million dollar lear jet. They must tell you you have to tie ten percent, and they they must tell you that you must become a member. They have to count on your money in order to live that lavish, celebrated lifestyle. That's why they they don't ask for a donation, folks. Number two. It, talking about the tithe, was never about money. It was crops. It was animals. It was grain. It was food. Period. We have been deceived, and I don't care how many churches. Teach and preach this false doctrine. That apostate preacher, by having you tithe, have bound you once again. When in fact Jesus shed blood set us free from the law. By you taking on this tradition of men, this false doctrine. It will continue to just keep coming down all these generations until someone says, "You know what? I'm studying to show myself approved." Amen. Glory be to God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that that is what we are going to do today, and I'm going to hit y'all with a ton of scriptures. Yes, look. Nehemiah ten, thirty-five、uh, to thirty-seven. It tells us exactly what the tithe was. Where, when did it suddenly became money? I could tell you when. When they wanted to get paid and live large, that's when it stopped from being grains and crops and 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 burnt offerings, which we had no business even participating in the law in the first place. It wasn't given to us. What part of is not yours? Are we not understanding? The reason why we kick and scream that we must keep it because we are believing someone who who has a a title in front of their names that gives them this pseudo authority in your life that you believe that you got to do everything he tells you to do without even cracking open the Bible for yourself to see if you have to do this. Now I get it. I get it. We are under the impression that he's a man of God. He's he's been sat down with Jesus long enough to understand these scriptures, to turn around and teach it to us. So we think he should know what he's talking about. That's to our error. The Bible tells us that we are to try every spirit by the spirit. We can ask some questions. Who is that person standing up there? We need to judge his fruit. Look at his life.
Forget about all of his 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 his, pedigree, his pedigrees, all of his uh, seminary teachings, all of those plaques on the walls. Forget about the, them titles. Forget about all of that. Who is that man? That's who we should be looking at, not his titles and, and awards up there on the wall. They are all dung. That's what that's that's what Paul said, all of his teachings, because let us not be mistaken. Paul was a scholarly man. He was a Pharisees of Pharisees. OK, he in modern day, he will be considered a Ph.D., Okay, and he said that he considered that all dung. All he wants to know is Christ and him crucified. Amen. So look, Nehemiah 10, 35 to 37 tells us exactly what the tithe was. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. Verse 36, as it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds, and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priest ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priest, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees and of our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops. It don't say a tithe of our money. It says a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it is the Levites who collect the types in all the towns where we work. Amen. So this is the problem. We got a major problem. Why? Why are any New Testament born again believer standing up in these pulpits, reaching back to the Old Testament just to twist the scripture? Leave it alone. It was doing fine with Israel. Why? Why are you telling these people that they must bring money to you when God has instituted the tithe to be brought to the Levites? He appointed the tribe of Levi to be the priest. There was a temple. In the temple was a storehouse where the people. Now also, if you was poor, you was not required to tithe anyway. Okay. In the temple were a store was a storehouse. And in the storehouse, the people brought their, their first fruit offerings, which were these fruits and grains and ground meal offerings. All of that, they also brought in their tithe 
to the storehouse. Why? So that the priests who did not work can have something to eat. That is how they ate. They ate from the tithes and the offerings. It had nothing to do with money. Why even call it a tithe when it has nothing to do with a dollar bill? It had to do with making sure the Levitical priesthood had something to eat. When did it ever become money? Why can't they just simply ask for financial help? Folks, First Baptist da-da-da church, we we falling short this month and we don't have enough money in the till to to pay the light bill, let's say. Can y'all help us pay the light bill? Don't you think the people will dig deep and say, yes, Brother Pete, not Pastor Pete, but yes, Brother Pete, I got $5. I got $20. I got I got $2,000. And then we all pull together from the community resource and help the local church out. What is so hard about doing that? You want to know why it's so hard? It's hard, especially if you want to be, if you want to live large and in charge. That's why it's so hard. You can't keep up with the Joe Osteens and the Kenneth Copelands and the and the Creflo Dollars and the and the Jesse DePlantis and the Rick Warrens off of ten dollars, folks. I'm gonna give y'all. The rest of the 10 things pastors don't want you to know about the tithe. And then I'm going to give you all some scriptures from the book of Galatians that will set you free from this false doctrine. Number three, if you keep one of the laws, you must keep them all. That pastor ain't going to tell you that. He ain't going to tell you that there were, in fact, 613 of those laws. He ain't going to tell you how Paul said that if you keep one, you must keep them all. Why would anybody intentionally put you back up under God's curse, knowing that you won't be able to keep the other 612? Israel couldn't keep it. What makes you think that you can keep it? Folks, this is just a money-making scheme. They are scammers. They are wolves and sheep clothing. They can care two flips about your soul. It's obvious. It's obvious. Number four, the law alienates you from Christ Jesus. They ain't going to tell you that either. They they want to make sure you bring in that that 10 percent um, of your income. Yep, they ain't going to tell you by you tithing. You are actually you are actually being alienated from Christ Jesus as they tell you. On the other hand, about how you are up under God's grace and that n- no matter what you do, you can't out sin 
God's good grace. How are they going to talk out of both sides of their necks? On one hand, they got y'all practicing tithing, which is in the Old Testament under the law. And then on the other hand, talk about how you are under God's grace and that once you are saved, you are always saved. Can't just see <laughs> Can't y'all see how confusing this is? It's no wonder people don't know whether or not we got to tithe or whether or not we got to keep the Sabbath or whether or not are we under the are we under the law of Moses? Because I'm reading in the Bible tithing was under the old covenant. But the pastor says that we are under grace. No wonder there is mass confusion going on. The problem is we need to study this word for ourselves so that we are no longer duped, raped, robbed, and fleeced. Number five, something else they ain't going to tell you about the tithe, that your tithes your, your tithes do not go to God, but to furnish their lavish lifestyles. Listen, God has not appointed any modern day pastor or preacher as part of the Levitical priesthood to accept the tithes. Now, we just read in Nehemiah, who the tithes were to be given to. It was to be given to a Levitical priest from the tribe of Levi. It wasn't meant to be given to the, the clown in the three-piece suit down at the local apostate church. Get me started. So, it... God has not appointed any modern day pastor or preacher as part of the Levitical priesthood to accept your tithes, nor has any temple been built to bring in the tithe to be placed in the storehouse. Remember, folks, the tithe was never about money. It was crops. It was grain. It was fruit. It was unblemished animals to be slaughtered and sacrificed on an altar at the temple. Second Peter 2 verses 1 through 3 says, But in those days false prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will subtly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves many will follow their shameful ways and because of them the way of truth will be maligned and in their greed they will exploit you listen listen to what peter is telling us and wake yourselves up he's telling us in their greed, they will exploit you with false arguments and 
twisted doctrine. Listen, I'm not making this up. I'm not coming down on these false teachers like we ought to have been commanded to mark and avoid them. I'm not doing this because I don't have nothing else better to do today. I'm doing it as a service to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who told us don't let anyone deceive you. You have a right to question who is that man standing in the pulpit and why is he having me tied under the old covenant? Why is he doing that? Ask these questions. Why? Why? When I see in the New Testament, we are to give with a willing and cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't say he loves a cheerful tither. It doesn't say that. Folks, we question so many things but the right thing. We question why all you want to do is talk about repentance. We question why all you want to do is talk about hell. Oh, y'all have a lot of questions when when it comes to righteous teachings. But y'all don't never ask why that pastor is having you up under the Old Testament tithing. Oh, we supposed to tithe. Says who? Him? Who told you that, that you are supposed to tithe? Well, the pastor told me that. I bet he did. <laughs> I, bet. <laughs> I, I bet he did. Listen, the scripture says, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false arguments and twisted doctrine. Their sentence of condemnation, which God has decreed from a from a time long ago, is not idle, but is still in force and their destruction and deepening misery is not asleep. But is but is on its way. Amen. And that's the amplified. Glory be to God. Friend, they make merchandise of you, departing you from your money. It's just as simple as that. Number six. There is no high priest to accept your tithe. They ain't gonna tell you that either. Oh no, because see. We talking about <laughs> we talking about 10 things these pseudo pastors will never tell you about the tithe. They ain't going to touch this lesson with a 10-foot pole. You want to know why? Because it will stop the money train. Oh yes, it will stop their money train. So, number 6 they ain't going to tell you how there is no high priest. We just read in Nehemiah that there must be a high priest to accept the tithes. So the next time they talk about, okay, we finna pass around the buckets for your, for your tithes and offerings. Somebody please stand up and ask him, okay, where is the high priest? Ask him that. 
You know what he's going to tell you? Oh, that was under the law. We are not under the law. Then your next question should be is to ask them, well, then why are you having us practice tithing? Because tithing was under the law because we are going to get to the the scripture over there in Hebrews that they love to twist to point out tithing is mentioned in the New Testament. Don't let me let me go in order. Number six. There is no high priest to accept your tithe, nor is there a storehouse to collect them in the temple. Folks, Jesus okay, is our high priest in heaven, and we, we are the temple of God. That's why there is no high priest, because there is no temple. And now that since Jesus came on the world scene, he died for the sins of the world on the cross, according to the scriptures, and he was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Jesus ascended back up to heaven after 40 days. The Bible said, tells, tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus in his resurrected body. Before he ascended back up to heaven where he is still alive, sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, making intercessions for us. He's our high priest. There is no more temple. There is no high priest from the tribe of Levi to accept your types. They ain't going to tell you that. No, listen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Amen. Folks, Jesus prophesied about the temple's destruction. He said, it says, and Jesus went out from the temple and was going on his way. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. But he answered and said unto them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly I say unto you, there shall, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Amen. We see that in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 2. And some, some accounts say that the Romans invaded Jerusalem in August of A.D. 70. After a five-month siege, the temple was destroyed on the tenth day of the fifth month, according to Jewish tradition. Ironically, the same day of the year upon which Nebuchadnezzar had burnt down the first temple some 656 years earlier. The Bible clearly tells us that the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom when Jesus shed, when Jesus, when Jesus, I can't even say Jesus shed his blood and took his last breath. It was done. 
and God no longer dwells in a temple made with man's hands. There is no high priest. There are no more storehouses. So they can twist Malachi 3.10 until they are blue in the face. Because we're going to get to Malachi. Oh yes. Number seven. It is not a requirement from God. And you are not justified by your tithe. They ain't telling y'all number seven either. No, they would never tell you. They would never tell you that it is not a requirement from God. And that how you are not justified by your tithe. They are lying to you, my friend. Romans 10, 4 tell us, For Christ is the end of of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Amen. Read these scriptures. They got y'all reading everything else but the right thing. Second Peter 2 just told us that they give you twisted doctrine. They have to twist it in order to get the money. What part of that are we not understanding? And no, they don't deserve to live lavishly. Are you living lavishly? Because if that's the case, then we all deserve to live lavishly. Amen. <sighs> Folks, we have been saved for by grace are you saved through faith and not through a tithe not through any of the 613 laws of Moses Ephesians 2 8 through 9 clearly tells us for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not by tithing, not by keeping the Sabbath, not by keeping the Ten Commandments, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. Number eight. They ain't going to tell you this either. How they intentionally twist Old Testament scriptures to browbeat and manipulate you to give up the tithe and the offerings. These apostates, they love this pet doctrine of, of tithing and sowing seed. Why? Because it ladens their pockets to pay for the mansion, to pay for that college tuition for their kids and all of their lavish shopping sprees. They all living with no shame, just hoarding while while the hurting and the homeless are right in their neighborhoods they go overlooked they despise the poor oh yes they do 
every last single one of them, them prosperity sermons talk about how they despise the poor, about the curse of, of poverty on your life. Oh, that's the last thing they want to be amongst is the poor because heaven forbid of any of, of their poverty rubs off on them. They need to repent. God will judge you. Folks, worse than that, they are lying on God, telling you you are under a curse, twisting Old Testament scriptures, using Malachi 3.10 and Melchizedek over there in the book of Hebrews to beat you into submission, to cough up that money. Grab your hat, grab your coat, and leave immediately. Listen, let's come over here to Malachi because this is one of their pet favorite verses to twist. First of all, why even choose this scripture when this is a judgment Scripture, the book of Malachi was addressing these sinful priests. Why on earth would they even out of all the scriptures to twist? Why twist this? You want to know why? Because they have lifted up part of a conversation that God was having with these sinful priests. Because the priests, first of all, God was not even talking to Israel. He was talking to the sinful priests who were robbing him of his types and offerings. God was telling them that if you return to me, meaning if you if you continue to sacrifice good animals, then I will return to you. And he says, test me in this. Test me in this and see when I open up the windows of heaven and pour you, priest, out a blessing. You, priest, won't have enough room for because God was telling them, look, all you got to do, go to Malachi 1-7 from um, verses 7 to 8. Look, it says, okay, no, I'm going to start at verse 6, talking about the sins of the priest. A son honors his father, okay, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? Because see, God was too through with these sinful priests. So he was asking them these rhetorical questions because they act they were acting like they wasn't doing anything wrong. What do you mean? How how are we robbing you? And God is like, what? I know. Now I'm paraphrasing, okay? I know you ain't finna fix your face about how you are, how you not robbing me when when y'all bringing in all these sick and lame and blind animals. Look, God is like, then if I am father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is the reverent fear and respect due me? Says the Lord of hosts to you, old priest who despise my name. See, 
He's talking to these priests. He's giving them the royal business about what they were doing. Why would you even lift up this judgment as if this this is a blessing? Uh, no, this is not a blessing. Look, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how and in what way have we despised your name? Really? You? Look, so God, God is answering them. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? By thinking that the table of the Lord is contemptible and may be despised. When you priest, see, talking to the priest. He ain't talking to Israel. He certainly is not talking to you, New Testament, born again, believer in Christ Jesus. He ain't talking to you. So you tell that pastor, why is he pulling out the book of Malachi when God wasn't even talking to none of us, but these corrupt priests, they were the ones who were robbing God of the types and the offerings. Listen, when you priests present the blind animals for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Or for such a thing as a blind or lame or sick animal to your governor as a gift or as a payment for your taxes, would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you graciously, says the Lord of hosts. Folks, don't let anyone trick and fool you and deceive you any longer. Malachi 3, 10. All of Malachi, all of the book of Malachi is addressing the issue that corrupt priests, they were bringing in sick and defiled animals to the altar to be sacrificed when on the back end they were keeping all the choice animals for themselves they were corrupt God was telling them stop robbing me stop it otherwise I'm going to judge you but if you if you go back to do the right thing test me and see won't I give you a blessing he was talking to them to encourage them to do the right thing going forward why would any corrupt mind reach back into the book of Malachi just because it mentions the word robbing God of tithes and offerings they lifted they cherry picked that whole conversation and turn it around and browbeated us in the head as if God was talking to us. He was not talking to us. We are not robbing God of types and offerings because types and offerings was never commanded for us to do. Can't y'all understand that it was not for you to do? We are once again to give will uh, uh, with a willing and cheerful heart. We give love gifts. We give donations. That's what we do to help the church out financially and to help out the pastor. Of course, we are not to muzzle the ox who treads corn. We get that. 
But don't lie to us. Don't put the fear of God on us that if we if if we if we continue to rob God, we are under a curse. No, he told them corrupt lying priests that they were up under a curse because they were the ones doing the robbing and the stealing and the holding back of the good sacrifices. So I pray that y'all get that today and don't let them drag out the account of Malachi and Abraham over there in the book of Hebrews either. That story was just an account, an account of Abraham coming back from a victory in battle who ran into Melchizedek on the road. Melchizedek gave Abraham a blessing and in return, Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils. At no time did the writers of of Hebrews say that now this is a doctrine that the New Testament believer have to tithe also. It was just a story about an, an, an Old Testament patriarch who tied and the reason why Melchizedek even came into into the conversation in the first place because the writer was talking about Jesus Jesus being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek and then he went on to to uh, tell us how Abraham ran into Melchizedek, showing just how great Mel- Melchizedek was in relation to how great Jesus is. <laughs> the the highlight and the spotlight was about Jesus being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and the writer um, and the writer took two seconds to give us a little backstory of Melchizedek because there isn't a whole lot of spoken about him. That's it. And then it went into how through Abraham loins was going to come the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levite. And then it was talking about how in his loins, people um, that... In Abraham's loins will come the tribe of Levites who will be in charge of the types. That's it. It was just giving us uh, um, an account of a story and some backstory. That's it. But these charlatans took that and ran with it and came up with this false doctrine to say, see, Over here in the New Testament, it mentions tithing. So what? It doesn't say we got to do it. Paul never said, oh, you must tithe. Peter never said you must tithe. Jesus never said you must tithe. Oh, but but we're going to believe this lying pastor, right? We need to wake up. We need to wake up. So, oh, let us not forget the parable of the sower because that's another one. <coughs> if they if they can get the whole Melchizedek story um past you, right? Oh, they certainly going to bring out and drag out the parable of the sower, okay? As if 
the seed is money. Absolutely not. So just because no one wants to study, I did the study for you. So now listen up. Okay. Let us not forget about the parable of the sower. Oh, these apostate lying preachers love to twist this parable. This false doctrine of sowing seed runs rampant in many churches today. They tell you to sow money seed into their ministries because it's good ground. And that and that they will use this parable to beguile you into giving up the money when in fact this parable has absolutely nothing at all to do with money. The seed sown is the word of God and how the message of the gospel is received into a person's heart. It ain't got nothing to do with no money. So, Jesus gives us four different types of soil, a.k.a. hearts. We see this parable taught in the Gospels in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, Mark 4, verses 1 through 9, Luke 8, verses 4 through 8. So we're going to look at Matthew 13, 1 through 9. On the same day, yep, I'm giving y'all all of these scriptures so that you can be educated and not tossed and fro like Infants still on spiritual milk by falling for all manners of winds of false doctrines. Folks, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But... When the sun was, but when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. And the charlatans picked up about um, a crop yielding some hundred, some 60, some 30. They led us to believe that if we sow money in, into their good ground of a ministry, that God is going to give us that money back. Some some 30, some some 60, some some a hundredfold. And we, and we, and we sit, I'm still, okay, I'm still 
X amount of years later, I'm still waiting for the hundredfold. It ain't coming. Because you want to know why? It was never talking about money. That seed sown is the word of God. And when a person hears it, depending on their heart, what kind what kind of ground when you when you hear the gospel being preached to you what comes out of your heart will yield some 60 some 30 some 100 fold because the parable of the sower it was told to the crowd that had gathered gathered around Jesus Jesus tells us the story of a sower who scattered seeds on four different types of soil. The first type of ground was hard, and the seed could not sprout or grow at all and became snatched up instantly. The second type of ground was stony. The seed was able to plant and began to grow. However, it could not grow deep roots and withered in the sun. The third type of ground was thorny, and although the seed could plant and grow, it could not compete with the number of thorns that overtook it. The fourth ground was good soil that allowed the, that allowed the seed to plant deep, grow strong, and produce fruit. Jesus spoke the parable of the sower to teach how important the state of our heart is to receive the gospel and how our how our salvation is proved by our choices and actions after hearing the gospel. So let's get a little lesson for the record, shall we? We know that the sower is Jesus. The seeds are the gospel of the kingdom, the word of God, right? The bird is the evil one, Satan. The soil is the world, those people who are presented with the gospel of the kingdom, right? The hearer can do one of four things with the biblical truth. They could either reject it, they could get emotional about it and fall away as soon as he faces objections. They could either accept it but but dismiss it as the world and its cares and the deceit of money take hold of him. Or they can take in the word fully and obey it, therefore growing both personally and by the fruit he produces when he shares the gospel. Amen. And that's the lives we lead today. When we hear how Jesus died for our sins and that because of his blood sacrifice, it appeased holy God's anger towards us, whereby now his wrath is not upon us. Jesus took our place. He, he, he 
stood in the in the crossfire of holy God because we sinned. Jesus was sinless and perfect, but he took it for us so that we don't go to hell, so that we don't spend eternity in the lake of fire at the final judgment. The good news is that God is not mad at us because through Christ Jesus, we can have right standing with him. We don't have to go to hell and going forward, we we could go and sin not. Sin no longer has control over you. It doesn't have domination over you. It doesn't have mastery over you. It don't have a say unless you give it a say. It is good news that you were a sinner on your way to a burning hell. But glory be to God. Jesus took the punishment that was rightly due to you. So now you can stand in front of holy God through the shed blood of Jesus as if you never sinned. That's some good news. And so when you hear that. And you run with that and you go and share that. Many brethren can now come up through faith in Jesus. That's good news. We spread the gospel. Now, if you still have sin in your life, you may not share it like you're supposed to. Or, or, or when you share it, you may water down because of, you may water it down because of your guilty conscience. So some people yield a 30 fold return, some 60, some a hundred fold. They run all the way with the gospel henceforth in repentance. That's what the, the parable of the sower is all about, is how you receive the seed. The Bible tells us what the seed is. It's the word of God. It is Jesus as the sower planting the, the, the message of the kingdom. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. It ain't got nothing to do with money. Amen. So, <laughs> cause it's ridiculous. It's so it's so ridiculous how we fall for the lie. So then, the main message is faith and the growth of it or lack of it when one is presented with the word of God. Not about how much money you can get from the return sown. No, each type of soil represents one's spiritual state or rather one's readiness to receive the good news offered by Jesus. We are all culpable when it comes to accepting the word. We have a choice of what we do with what we hear. Amen. Any good farmer knows his soil must be tilled fertilized and watered before it can receive seeds and be a means of growth. Soil as used in this parable is people. Amen. So it just, I was going to get into the, the different types of soils and whatnot, but we get it. It is not money. It it is not about money. You don't sow money to get money. 
God don't work like that. He ain't never worked like that. That is why Jesus says that you can't serve two masters. And he also told us to store for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on this earth. So we know Jesus was never about no piece of money ever. Amen. He he was all about saving souls from going to hell and facing God's wrath. Amen. So, number nine. Hold on. Did I miss? No. Okay, right. Num number nine. Because I was going to say, so tell me, right, so tell me in all of this, do we see Jesus telling anybody to sow money into his ministry? You don't. It's ridiculous. And yet many of us fell for the lie because we wanted money. We wanted God to give us money from heaven just because we gave preacher man our hard earned dollars. It's crazy. Number nine. Yep, because we talking about, yep, and I'm going to take all morning if it has to be. Because we need to we need to get in-depth teachings on whether or not we got to keep any of the laws of Moses. And we don't. Why? It was never given to us in the first place to keep. Jesus, glory be to God, stood in our place. He fulfill the law because he lived a perfect and sinless life totally obedient to the father so we don't have to keep the law and besides it tells us that the law never justify us anyway so number nine of what these lying pastors will never tell you about the tithe Oh, how Jesus never sent them. Oh, they will never tell you. You know what? I'm standing up here actually because I I, I, I want to get your money. I want to rob and rape and fleece you. And besides all of, the, all of that, Jesus never sent me. I came on my own because I saw it was it was big business because people are too dumb to actually read the scriptures for um, themselves. So I figure I put on on this monkey three piece suit and stand up here and, and, and call myself Reverend Bishop Pastor, Senior Pastor of this church and take you for everything you got because you are too lazy to actually open up your own Bibles and read it for yourselves how you are not up under any of these laws but I'm gonna tell you that you are I'm gonna tell you how um, only one of the law you get to keep because if you don't keep that you are robbing God and you are you are in fact under his curse because I know you ain't going to read these scriptures for yourself it has been proven Lord, help us today. Number nine, Jesus never sent them. They ain't going to tell you that. They ain't going to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ will never send anyone to put you back up under the 613 laws of Moses. Jesus nailed that law to the cross. They ain't going to tell you that. They ain't going to tell you how, how he gave us two new laws in Matthew chapter 22. That we are to one, love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two, to love our neighbors as ourselves. They ain't going to tell you that how for in these two laws of Christ, 
all of the law and the prophets hang on them. They ain't going to tell you that. They definitely ain't going to tell you that if you do tithing, which include the sacrificing, uh, sacrificing of some animals, unblemished ones, okay? And since none of us have any cattle farms, that means you have to do them all. They ain't going to tell you that. Nope. Yes, all of the remaining 612 in their full entirety. They ain't going to tell you that either. Nope. Number 10. They would never tell you that this is in fact a false doctrine. Because Paul told the New Testament believer to give with a willing and cheerful heart. Look, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. Amen. Raise your hand. You know good and full well you was not happy about giving 10% of your $70,000 income. You was not happy. I wasn't. No, I gave grudgingly because I didn't want God's curse to be on me. I didn't want, you know, the car to break down or the, um, I don't know, I get sick or whatever. Because anything that goes wrong in your life, according to the fake pastor, is because you didn't tithe this week. That's why your car broke down. That's why you got fired from your job. That's why your 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 spouse cheated on you. That's why the kids are cutting up and acting out is all because you didn't tithe see i told you god's curse was on you so when you come when you come up in here next week you make sure you bring that tithe see they ain't gonna tell you that nope got a bonus for y'all got a bonus they ain't going to tell you that you are under a curse because you tithe they constantly tell you that if you don't tithe, you are under God's curse. When in fact, because you are tithing, you are under God's curse because you won't be able to keep the other 612 laws of Moses. So listen, these false teachers with their smooth butter, butter words will deceive the one who would not study to show yourselves approved. Listen, do you want to be set free? Do you want to be set free from this false doctrine? Study Galatians. Study the book of Galatians, especially chapters 2, 3, and 5. We are no longer under the penalty for not following all of the law. And that includes paying the 10%. You want to know why? It wasn't given to the Gentiles to begin with. We ain't got no business doing nothing part of the uh, laws of Moses. But what about the Ten Commandments? What about it? Jesus says that if we love God with everything within us, we ain't going to sin against him. And if we if we love our neighbors like we love ourselves, we ain't going to sin against them either. So that covers the whole Ten Commandments. And he told us. That was my papers. He told us that 
The whole law hangs on those two laws he gave us. It hangs on them, meaning that if you love God, you you are not going to commit adultery. You're not going to take his name in vain. You're not going to have other gods. You're not you're not going to steal, murder. You're not going to be covetous. You're not going to be lying. You're not going to be stealing. You're going to obey your parents. And every day you will rest in Jesus. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. What part of Jesus Christ was a game changer? Are we not understanding? He said we are under a new covenant. His blood which was poured out for you. Don't you love Jesus? Isn't it a blessing that we don't have to keep the law? Why why do you want to put yourself under duress unnecessarily? Why? Israel could not keep it. Those self-righteous Pharisees, they couldn't even keep it themselves. And they were teaching the law. They knew the law up and down and all around. And yet they were not practicing what they were preaching and teaching. Jesus told us that. Why do you want to put yourself up under duress? Jesus says, take his yoke. Come to me who are heavy laden because of the law you can't keep. What part of in him we now find rest. We find comfort. We we have been justified. He is now teaching us how to live holy, how, um, how to be godly. So that when he calls us out of this body suit, we won't be standing before him looking crazy because we still in sin. Wake up. You don't have to keep this law. You don't. And I don't care who's telling you you have to. All you got to do is read the Bible for yourself. Because if you if you continue to fall for it, then you're on your own. What else can we do? We keep telling you Jesus even told you. He's telling you, you are you are under a new covenant you are blood bought he poured out his blood for you what else more do you want him to do he already laid down his life as the perfect sacrifice the perfect last lamb to be slain what else more do you want him to do well the pastor says that we got to help him pay the mortgage i bet he does I bet he does. Okay. You give cheerfully. Listen, if you want to give your whole paycheck, then give it. But don't let it be a commandment under the threat that God's curse is on you. If you want to give everything you got, give it. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying don't fall for the lie. That's it. I'm going to give y'all some scriptures and then I'm going to let y'all go. Let me see how much time. I know. Yep. We working on two hours. Good. Good. So now maybe. Okay. Now maybe you can arm yourselves with some scriptures. So for the next time a charlatan comes to you with the nonsense. You can tell them no. Back it up. No. I give cheerfully. No. No. Uh-uh. Put Malachi back. 
Put Melchizedek down. Stop it. Galatians 2, 15 to 21 says, I went on to say, we are Jews by birth and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Yet we know that a man is not justified and placed in right standing with God by works of the law, but only through faith in God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. And even we as Jews have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. By observing the law, no one will ever be justified, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty but if while we seek to be justified in Christ by faith we ourselves are found to be sinners does that make Christ an advocate or promoter of our sin certainly not for if I or anyone else should rebuild through word or practice what I once tore <clears throat> what I once tore down the belief that okay because Paul Paul finna tell us the belief that observing the law is essential for salvation. I prove myself to be a transgressor, for through the law. I died to the law and its demands on me because salvation is provided through the death and resurrection of Christ so that I might from from now on live to God. I and I love this. I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not ignore or nullify the gracious gift of the grace of God, his amazing unmerited favor. For if righteousness come through observing the law, then Christ died need needlessly. His suffering and death would have had no purpose whatsoever. Amen. Galatians 3, 10 to 14. For all who depend on the law, seeking justification and salvation by, by obedience to the law and the observance of rituals are under a curse. Did you hear that? You are under a curse because you are trying to keep any one of them laws. And that includes tithing, folks. Listen, Paul says, curse it. Condemned to destruction is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law so as to practice them. Now, it is clear that no one is justified, that is, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty, and placed 
in right standing before God by the law for the righteous, the just, the upright shall live by faith, but the law does not rest on or require faith. It has nothing to do with faith, but instead the law says he who practiced them the things prescribed by the law shall live by them instead of faith. Paul is telling us, if you try to keep any of the law, you must keep them all. Because then it's not going to be by faith anymore. No, no, no. It's going to be by your works and you got to do the law exactly. In its entirety, the way God instituted it for Israel to keep it. You can't take any shortcuts claiming, well, we in the a New Testament now, we don't have to do it exactly as that. No, you ain't got to do it at all. So why even try? You're getting yourself in trouble. You have no idea what you're doing. You're hurting yourself. Listen, verse 13, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs crucified on a tree, on the cross. And isn't that what Christ did for us? Verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might also come to the Gentiles so that we would receive so that we would all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Amen. Galatians 5 verses 1 through 4. Yeah, I'm giving you all some scriptures to set you free once and for all. Amen. Walk by the Spirit. It was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, which you once removed. Notice, it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation, Christ will be of no benefit to you, for you will lack the faith in Christ that is necessary for salvation. Once more, I solemnly affirm to every man who receives circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation that he is under obligation and required to keep the whole law. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? That if you try to keep any of the, of the law, you got to keep them all. You are under obligation. You have been, look, right, that he is under obligation and required to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. If you seek 
to be justified. That is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God through the law. You have fallen from grace for you have lost your grasp on God's unmerited favor and blessing. Amen. So in closing. Okay. And just because you want to still kick and scream because I hear it about keeping this law, just like just like y'all want to keep the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments since since you want to be stubborn. OK, here you go. We're going to Holy Ghost school today. Look, I'm going to give y'all 37 scriptures that proves that Christians are not under the law. You ready? Acts 15.10 talks about how the law is an unbearable yoke. Romans 3.20 talks about the law reveals sin but cannot fix it. Romans 4.14 talks about if the law worked then faith would be irrelevant. Romans 4.15 talks about the law brings wrath upon those who follow it. And folks, that includes your tithing. Yeah, because see, that fake phony pastor, he ain't telling you about Romans 4.15 that how the law brings wrath upon those who follow it. Just simply ask the people for a donation. Ask for financial help. Why you got to drag in tithing? Why? Because for them, a regular donation is not going to get them that Learjet. That's why. Romans 5.20 talks about the purpose of the law was to increase sin. Romans 6.14 tells us how Christians are not under the law. Romans 7 verses 1 through 6 tells us that Christians have been delivered from the law. Romans 7 verses 7 to 12 tells us how the law is good, perfect, and holy, but cannot help you be good, perfect, or holy. Amen. Romans 7 10 tells us that the law which promises life only brings death through sin. Amen. Romans 7.13 tells us that the law makes you sinful beyond measure. Romans 8 verses 2 to 3 tells us that the law is weak. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 tells us that the strength of sin is the law. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 tells us the law is a ministry of death. 2 Corinthians 3, 9 tells us the law is a ministry of condemnation. 2 Corinthians 3, 10 tells us the law has no glory at all in comparison with the new covenant. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3.11 tells us the law is fading away. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 14 to 15 tells us anywhere the, anywhere, 
the law is preached, it produces a mind hardening and a heart hardening veil. It does. Galatians 2.16 tells us the law justifies nobody. Galatians 2.19 tells us Christians are dead to the law. Galatians 2.21 tells us the law frustrates grace. It does. Galatians 3.1 tells us, tells us to go back to the law after embracing faith is stupid. Amen. Read it. <laughs> you don't believe me? Read it. Galatians 3.10 tells us the law curses all who practice who practice it and fail to do it perfectly. So you ain't got to worry about Malachi and God's curse being on you because you supposedly robbing God of the tithes and the offerings. Oh, no, no. What you need to be concerned about is Galatians 3.10, how the law curses all who practice it and fail to do it perfectly. That means tithing is not about bringing money. You got to bring crops, grain, animals. You got to end. That animal has to be unblemished. Where are you going to find some cattle, some unblemished cattle that you got to slit its throat? No, you first got to find a, a Levitical priest. And then you got to find or build you another temple of God, build you a storehouse, build you an altar. All of that got to be done. You can't do it. That priest got to do it. You ain't going to find one because Jesus is the high priest. Galatians 3, 11 through 12 tells us that the law has nothing to do with faith. Galatians 3.13 tells us the law was a curse that Christ redeemed us from. Amen. Galatians 3.16 and 19 and also Matthew 11.12-13 and Luke 16.16 tells us that the law functioned in God's purpose as a temporary covenant from Moses till John the Baptist announced Christ. Did you get that? The law functioned in God's purpose as a temporary, temporary covenant from Moses till John the Baptist announced Christ. Amen. Galatians 3.21 tells us that if the law worked, God would have used it to save us. Because otherwise Christ died for nothing. He died that horrific, brutal, bloody, violent death on the cross for nothing. Galatians 3.23 tells us that the law was our prison. Galatians 4.24 tells us that the law makes you a slave like Hagar. Ephesians 2.15 tells us that Christ has abolished the law, which was a wall of hostility. Amen. Philippians 3 verses 4 through 8 tells us that Paul considered everything the law gained him as dung. Poop. Feces. Yeah. 
First Timothy 1.8 tells us the law is only good if used in the right context. First Timothy 1 verses 9 through 10 tells us it was made for the unrighteous, but not for the righteous. Amen. Hebrews 7, 18 to 19 tells us that the law is weak, useless, and makes nothing perfect. Hebrews 8 verses 7 to 8 tells us God has found fault with it and created a better covenant, enacted on better promises. Amen. Hebrews 8 13 tells us it is obsolete, growing old and ready to vanish. Hebrews 10 1 tells us it is only a shadow of good things to come and will never make someone perfect. Amen. Glory be to God, Father. In the name of Christ Jesus, thank you so much for today's lengthy lesson. We needed to hear each and every one of these scriptures. Father, may the people finally understand that the law was given to Israel. It was not given to the nations. It was not given to the Gentiles. Christ Jesus came to this world to save the people from their sins and he fulfilled the law on our behalf. We don't have to keep it, but we must love you with everything within us. We must love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And when we do those two things, all of the law, which is good, which is holy, which is perfect, but it was never for the righteous. It was for the unrighteous that when we do those things, those two laws that Jesus has given us, the whole law hangs on those two commandments. All what the prophets had to say, all of it. We are under the blood covenant. Jesus told us that we are under his blood covenant, the blood that he poured out for us. So, Father, I pray. I pray with everything within me that I was able to convey this message to the people. And I pray that it brought you glory. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Another one in the can. Please understand, if you want to give money to your local church, give it. Give it all. <laughs> Every penny, if you want to. If, if that's what God put on your heart, then do it. But don't let anyone trick you out of your money. Okay, because I know y'all want to give, give it, but don't let no one beat you in the head and rob you for it. Why? So that they can live large and in charge? Absolutely not. We got to wake up. So I'm going to let y'all go. This is over two hours, but it was needed. Glory be to God. Repent 
and believe. Stop sinning. Come out of these apostate churches. You don't want to. You don't want to suffer. Suffer the same penalty and punishment that these false prophets will suffer if they don't repent and stop it. The Bible tells us in in um, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 33 to 34 talking about these false teachers. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. Amen. Amen. Lord willing, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.